When it comes to our human relationships, there's a certain kind of knowledge or intelligence we need to continually develop. The Bible is clear about the importance of intelligence in our relationships with God and others. This message is the fifth in the series, Relate. The message is entitled, Improve Intelligence, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to the Word of God this morning. We're involved in this series of messages talking about relationships and how we are to improve the relationships of our lives. I'm talking to us this weekend, continuing the theme that we started last weekend about improving the intelligence in your relationships. The Bible really is a relational book. All through the pages of Scripture, you find out how to relate first and foremost to God and then also to one another. Jesus was asked one day, what's the most important commandment of all? And Jesus' response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the commandments are wrapped up in that one statement, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's about knowing how to relate to God and to one another. Now, to be able to relate well to one another, we have to learn some things about relationships with one another. And in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, we find our theme verses for this message today, last weekend and this week. I'm going to ask you to read it together with me. And all the folks in Frederick, uh, by the way, welcome to all the folks in Frederick. Let's give them a good round of applause this morning. All the folks in Frederick, we welcome you, and it's great to be together studying God's Word. I'm going to ask all of us together, both campuses, to read together from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Let's read aloud and loudly together. Here we go. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Three words I want you to notice there in that particular passage. The first word you might want to, want to underline or score it if on your notes there is the word wisdom. The next word is understanding. And the final word is knowledge. The Bible says if you're going to build a house, it's not talking about a physical house here. He's talking about relationships, talking about family, environment, places where we connect with people in a meaningful way. He says if you're going to build a house, you better have wisdom. You need to have knowledge and understanding. In other words, I'm going to use another word for this. You need to have some intelligence. You need to know what you're doing. It's not just going to happen automatically. It's going to require something of you. Relationships don't happen without us bringing something to the table. There's some information that we need, some knowledge, some wisdom, some intelligence. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Let me read this for you. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Let's uh, take a look again at what the Scripture says about this idea of knowledge, intelligence in our relationships. His divine power, talking about God, obviously, has given us, that's those of us who are believers in Christ, that's how you act power is by relationship with God through Jesus Christ, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, notice knowing Him, having some intelligence about God, knowing who He is, our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, as the promises of God, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Now those two verses are packed up with lots of stuff that we'll talk about at a different time, but very important verses. Notice verses 5 and following. For this very reason, because God has done all of this for us, for this very reason, make every effort, that is the four-letter word work, 
Put some effort into it. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. In other words, what it's saying there, you'll never get to, to godliness, you'll never get to all these traits, you'll never get to brotherly kindness, you'll never, never get to a place of love without somewhere along the line growing in your knowledge, in your areas of intelligence. Now, when we talk about intelligence regarding relationships, I'm talking in a specific realm. I'm talking to us about relational intelligence, or I'll use another word here that's very common in our culture today. It's called emotional intelligence. How many of you have heard that phrase before, emotional intelligence? Maybe in your, your work uh, world you've heard that phrase or studied it maybe in school. Uh, it was really made famous primarily by a gentleman named Daniel Goleman who studied social psych psychologists that studied this kind of stuff and helped us to begin to realize this element which has actually been in the Bible all along. Isn't it amazing how the scientists just discovered things quite often that have been in the Bible for centuries? And so he brought to the attention of the business world uh, and relational world this whole idea of emotional intelligence, that is being wise in the way that you relate to people around you. And he's learned that in his studies that most of the successes and failures in life really are tied not to your IQ, but actually to your EQ, your emotional quotient. You can be very, very bright intellectually and not do very well in relationships. And so it doesn't so much matter how, how much academic understanding you have. If you can't translate that into the relational realm of your life, you're going to get into trouble. And about 85% of success in people's lives can directly be attributed to their capacity to relate at an emotional level, a relational level to people around them. And so it's very, very significant. And the Bible has always taught us this. Now, to understand, to grow in our emotional intelligence, because that's how we have to, you have to know something about people if you're going to relate to them, right? We talked last weekend about some things regarding that. We talked about knowing yourself. You can't relate to somebody else until you know some things about you. And if you missed that, let me encourage you to go back and listen to that teaching from last week. We talked about knowing people in general, how you have to have some general knowledge of how people operate, become a student of people. Now, today I'm going to give you two more things that will help you to grow in your emotional intelligence so that we get the knowledge that we need to be better in the relationships of our life. And the first thing today that I'd like for you to write down in your, your notes, if you will, will and to, to think about with me is that if we're going to grow in our emotional intelligence, we have to know the people in our world. You need to know the people in your world. Everybody here has a world. We've got this big world that we live in, and in this huge world, we have our world. I'm going to illustrate it this way. Think about the relationships of your life and the, the ones that, are, that you're, you're most connected with, the most intimate, personal relationships of your life, moving out to people that you don't even know at all, but you have some awareness that are in the world. Now, all of us are moved at times by things that happen anywhere in the world. If tragedy happens you know, on another continent, if you're like me, I feel it, don't you? I mean, my heart is breaking for those, the, what's going on in, in Nigeria right now and all these things that happen in different places around the world. You feel it on the inside. Things that happened this week in California, you feel it. You don't know those people personally, but you feel it, okay? Because we are a human race, and hopefully there's some dimension of compassion that is stirred even when we don't specifically know someone. But the closer it comes to you, the more intense the pain is when there are problems, Right? 
The closer a person is to you, the more, more, the more joy you can feel in the relationship and the more pain you can feel in the relationship. That's why marriages are either the, the epitome of joy or the pit of pain. Because either, these are the folks that are closest to you, okay? And so it's the most intimate of relationships. Now, at the very core of your being, uh, obviously, the most important relationship is with who? With God, okay? And you know God, just, if you, just so if you're, anybody here doesn't perhaps understand this, how do you get to know God? Jesus told us how you get to know God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to know God the Father except by me. And so if you're wondering, how do I get to know God? It's very clear. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus and you give your life to him and say, now, Jesus, you get to be the Lord of me. You get to be the boss of me, as my grandkids say. You get to be the boss of me in my life. You get to tell me now, Jesus, how I'm going to live. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because it means now we can begin to live the way God designed us to live, which means there has to be some change in your life, right? Because you can't live the Jesus way unless you're willing to take Jesus' commandments and make them a part of your life. But you begin to invite him in. And he doesn't just ask you to do this without giving you the power. He gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it if you'll walk in obedience. And you come into a relationship with God, the most important important relationship of your life. And then working your way out from your relationship with God, you have relationships with other people, going all the way out to the outermost dimensions of the world that we live in. And what I want you to see is it's extremely important if you're going to build relationships to have a relationship with God. Don't you think it's important to know Him? Right? That's why we're to grow in our knowledge of God, because you can't build a relationship with God unless you know something about Him. That's why you're at church this morning, because you said, I want to know more about God, and hopefully at the end of our teaching day, you'll know a little bit more about God, and you'll love Him a little bit more because of what you know about Him. Now, the same is true in our personal, our, our, our human relationships, that I can love you more if I get to know you better. The more I know about you, the more capable I am now of starting to love you because I've now brought you into my world, not just in a physical sense, but I've brought you into my world in an emotional sense. I'm getting to know you as a person, and the greater I can know you, the more I can know about you as a person, the greater dimension of my love. And that's why knowledge of people is extremely important in your world. Now, I'm going to share with you some principles that will help you to do this, but before I do, let me give you one more concept. Is that okay? Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay. If, you know, this is, we're just studying the Bible today, so this is class. You can talk back. You can shake your head. It's all right. So is everybody, everybody with me so far? Yes. Good. Fantastic. That's about half of you. That's awesome. Okay. The other half of you, I'm not sure what you're doing. You're thinking about hamburgers tomorrow or something like that, I don't know, whatever it might be, okay? <clears throat> but to get into somebody's world you have to know their language. If you're going to go to another country, right, and you're going to get into that world, okay, you can't go to another country and show up at the airport and say, okay, I'm here, everybody learn English. That's not going to happen, okay? When you arrive in a country that doesn't speak your language, then you have to become a student of the language of that world, right? If you don't learn how to speak that language, you're not going to have a very good experience there, and there's going to be a, just a limited amount of interaction that you can have. And the same is true in our relationships. Part of what we never do in our relationships to make them better is we never really learn the language of the people around us. Because everybody here, to, to use the phrase of a well-known Christian writer that I would highly recommend, we'll talk more about in a moment, Gary Chapman, everybody has a love language. 
Every one of you here today, you have a language in which love is communicated to you. It means something to you. And you have a language by which you try to communicate love to others. So every person here has a love language and you have a love container inside of you. And if to, for your love container to, to effectively be filled up, the people in your life have to learn something about your love language because your love language or languages is what fills your cup. And in the same way, if you're going to be a blessing to the other people in your world, you have to learn their love language because the tendency that we have is to try to give other people the same kind of language that we like to receive. And so then their love language may be different. And that's why oftentimes we have a disconnect in our communication. So I, I see love language is about how I receive love. And it's also about how I give it. But on the giving part, I have to learn to make adjustments to the people around me. What's most effective in their love language? Okay, everybody with me again so far here, right? Good. Okay, that's, wow, we're making improvements. We're now three quarters of the team here. Okay, fantastic. And so I'm going to talk to you about knowing your love language today and knowing the love languages of others. This is not new. This is, you actually would highly recommend if you haven't read the book, uh, Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. You need to get that book today uh, as quickly as you can and start reading it because it will radically transform how you think about relationships. The Five Languages of Love, I believe it's called, or Five Love Languages. You can't always get those two uh, interspersed, uh, reverse there, whatever it is, but it's by Gary Chapman. And I'm going to talk to you about the five ways that people give and receive love. And I want you to think about you when I'm going through this. What, what's the, what, what speaks love to you? And then also think about the people in your life. What do they need from you? And what can you learn from the love languages of how you can better communicate love to them? So we're talking about knowing the people in your world. Uh, and by the way, let me say this as we get into this. Uh, most of us here do not have one love language. We usually have a primary love language. We always will have secondary languages as well. So when you re see this list, you might say, well, gee, I'm like number one and I'm also number four. I'm like number one, I'm also number three. I'm like number one and I'm like number two and I'm like number three and I'm like number four and I'm like number five. Okay? I don't know what your combination is going to be, but, but you can have any combination of these, but yet generally there'll be a primary one that will show up in your life over and over again. So let's dive into them, okay? The first love language is, would be words of affirmation. That is, your love tank gets filled up when people say nice things to you without you asking for it. They just show up in your world and say, wow, I really love you. I really appreciate you. Wow, thank you so very much for and they are when you receive anytime you receive words of affirmation words of encouragement it begins to fill you up on the inside it's like putting air in a balloon that you start to soar when those words come into your life and some of you are like that others of you are like hey I don't really care what they say and it doesn't affect you at all. Words really kind of go in one ear and out the other. They don't mean anything to you. But others of you, you're like really, really blessed and really encouraged and really strengthened when somebody just simply speaks into your life affirmation without you asking for it. Out of their own initiative, they say, I just want you to know that I value you. I love you. Not just, listen, very important, not just for what you're doing, although that's important, but for who you are, okay? You're valuing, being valued as a person respected by words, affirmed by words. 
The second love language is the language of service, acts of service. Acts of service. Some of you get your cup filled up when people show up in your life and they just simply do things to ease the burden of your life. And again, it's without you having to ask, without you saying anything at all, that they voluntarily and with their own initiative step into your world and they serve you in some way. Maybe the husband walks in to the wife and the, she's, she's had a tough day at work and the kids are screaming and things are happening and the husband comes in and says, Honey, I just want you to know that I, I got it tonight, okay? I want you to go and get you a nice long bath and just have a great time. I'm going to serve you a meal in a few minutes. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. You just go do all of that. I got it. Now, for, for a, a lady who has her world, that, that's her love language, what happens on the inside? Man, she just went to heaven. Okay? It's awesome because that says, I love you. That says, I care about you. And so some of us have that language when people step into our world and without our, us asking them to, they ease a burden from us and they st step and take a load from us that communicates love. The third language of love, according to Gary Chapman, is the, the love of the, the language of receiving gifts. Some of you just get really, really thrilled when someone gives something meaningful to you. It doesn't have to be expensive necessarily. It doesn't have to be something that's super duper nice. It's just an expression of care and concern. An expression of, 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 of thoughtfulness that I thought about you and the way that I wanted to say that I love you is by giving to you something that expresses my concern. And it's not, it goes beyond just giving the words of affirmation, but giving something of a great expression of love and care. And that may be who you are. Maybe that's what fills your cup in your life. The fourth one, uh, the fourth language of love is the gift, or the, uh, the gift of or the, or the language of quality time. Notice it's not just time. What kind of time is it? Quality time. That some of you, the way your cup is filled up is that people just spend time with you. Time doing what? Just time being with you. There's not an agenda all the time. It's just you're there and you're there with focused attention that, uh, that you're actually having some, usually because the time connects with communication, some level of that. And that begins to fill up your cup. It makes you feel valued and loved as a person, okay? And the final one here would be physical touch. Physical touch is just the touch of affection and, and care and kindness. It could be a hug. It could be a pat on the back. It could be holding hands. It could be touching that arm or shoulder in a moment of just encouragement, but it's a physical touch of affection. I'm not talking here about, about sensual or sexual touches. That's a whole other realm of things that we can talk about at some point in time in a marriage environment, but I'm talking about just the physical expressions of I really care about you, and I'm saying when I put my arm around you, I may not be saying the words, but I'm saying I love you with my action. Now, look at those five. With, just look on your notes there at those five again. Okay, let's review them. Would you say them with me? Let's all go over them again. Number one is word, that's words of affirmation. Number two, acts of service. Number three, receiving gifts. Number four, quality time. Number five, physical touch. Now, I want you to do your own little exercise here, okay? And hide it from anybody else, okay? This is just you, okay? I want you, if you got a pen or pencil, if you wrote those down, I want you just to take a moment and order them and from one to five and the ones that are most important to you. What's like your number one language, okay? 
from one to five, what would you say? That, that's me. That really is who I am, okay? Down to number five, that's like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal to me. And again, some of you may have ones on all five. I don't know, okay? But I just want you to know you for a minute, okay? Because you can't, I'll tell you why, in a moment I'll tell you why. Let me just be quiet and let you do your work. All you folks in Frederick, do it as well. Everybody together. Here we go. When you're done with that, would you just kind of look up this way so I kind of get a sense of how we're doing with it all around? Okay, kind of got yours done? Great. Now, I want you to think about, again, this is for you right now, and I want you to think about the people in your world, your world. I'm not talking about like in California and, you know, and across the world somewhere. I'm, I'm not even necessarily talking about your neighbors right now around you and your neighborhood. I'm talking about the people really that in the, are in the sphere of your world that you interact with on a regular basis. Uh, if you're married, especially your spouse, okay? Uh, do you know what their language is? Because here's our tendency. Whatever your number one is, how do you, that's the way you best receive love. So what do you normally do? That's, that's what you defer to when, it, when you want to communicate love. Where do you go? You go to number one, and you use your number one to give to somebody else. And when you get to that other person, guess what? Their number one may be number four. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. And so, and we have this disconnect that happens, and this one's over, this one's saying, well, I, I showed you that I loved you, saying I used my love language to tell you that I loved you, and this one's saying, I don't feel very loved, because the language is not there. It's not a matter of whether love is present, is it? Right? Just like when you go to another country. I'm trying to, demyth, to take the myth away from this. Okay, When you go to another country and you're speaking one language and the other person is speaking a different language, are you still communicating? Yeah, at one level you are. Both of you are using your communication skills, but are you really communicating? No, you're not really communicating. You're both communicating in technical terms, but you're not communicating in relational terms. And that's all you have to do in making your relationships better. You just get on the same wavelength when it comes to the communication of love. And so one learns, okay, that's his or her language, and so I'll speak that language into their life. And this person says, well, that's his or her language, so I'll speak that language into their life. And then we both come away feeling what? loved and appreciated. So it's just learning the language. See, get rid of all this myth, okay? You can make, listen, did you hear what I just said? Get rid of the myth. Why? You can take any marriage and make it better just by doing that one thing right there. No matter how tough it is right now, you can improve your marriage just by, you can improve a friendship just by that one little thing that I just gave you. And I encourage you again to make sure you read the book by Gary Chapman. It's well worth the time and effort to read it. Let me go to the next point here, and we're going to be done today. I'm going to finish a little earlier than normal. Is that okay if I go just a little shorter today? I've never gotten any argument from folks when I did that, okay? But understand something, I'm banking for the future, okay? That's all I'm doing, okay? I just put a little deposit in today because I'm going to, you know, well, you got it. <laughs> Number two, know God's perspective on people. I'm going to cover this fairly quickly because it's somewhat self-evident as we talk about. Why is this important? Because overall, if you want to know people and, and have emotional intelligence with people, don't you think it would be wise to know how God views people, right? 
What does God think about people? How does God treat people? How does God handle people? And sometimes we don't have the same perspective of people that God has because sometimes we write off people that God doesn't write off, right? We say there's no hope for that person when God says, yes, there is. Aren't you glad that God held out hope for you? Aren't you glad that God continues to hold out hope for you, okay? And sometimes we give up on people before God gives up on them. And I want to help you to realize that there's nobody in your world that is beyond the capacity of God to reach. There's a story, and I'll just tell the story. You can read about it in, in 1 Samuel. I think the, the, the scriptures are there on your notes. Let me just quickly tell you the story. Most of you know it. It was a time in the Old Testament uh, after the first king of Israel. His name was Saul, and Saul messed up big time. And so God said, Saul, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to give Israel a second king. And so the prophet that was leading Israel during that time was a man by the name of Samuel. So God spoke to Samuel and Sam, said, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of a man by the name of Jesse. Because Jesse has eight sons. Everybody say eight. Okay, that's a very important thing there. He had eight sons. And he says, I want you to go to the house of, of Jesse because I want to raise up one of Jesse's sons to become the next king of Israel. You'll find the next king among Jesse's sons. So Samuel goes and, and tells this to Jesse, and Jesse calls his boys in. Uh, but, he, but he only calls in seven of them. Think about that for a moment. Samuel says, call all your sons in because one of them will be the next king. And Jesse knows he has how many sons? How many does he call to the party? Seven. Seven. Think about that. Now, does that tell you something about if you're the one left out, right? I mean, you don't even get the invitation to the party. You're not even invited to come. That means that daddy's not thinking very highly of you. That means that daddy has already written you off as a possibility for this deal. Daddy has already said, you know what, the seven might, one of the seven might make it, but that other guy, I'm not, we, not even, no reason to even invite him. And so you can read the story there, and Samuel goes through all the different seven guys, seven sons of Jesse, and he finds no one God doesn't affirm inside of him. And Jesse's kind of, confu- uh, Samuel's kind of confused. He said, is this all your boys? Because God sent me here to find a king, and I've, I've prayed over all these and tried to figure out that one of these is supposed to be the king, and God's saying no on all seven of them, and so either I missed it or you missed it. What's going on? Do you have any more boys? Do you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, I, I've got another one. He's the youngest. He's, Jez, he's David. He's out taking care of the sheep. I didn't even invite him to the party because I figured he was not going to make the cut. And Samuel said, go get David and bring him here. And David came and God spoke to Samuel and said that that's the one. Pour the horn of oil on him and anoint him. And that's exactly what David did. He anointed us, what Samuel did and David was anointed. And we have the beautiful book of Psalms because David was anointed king. of. Aren't you glad David was anointed? Okay, what an amazing legacy we have, okay? Here's what I want you to see. God saw something in David that people couldn't see. I could take you through story after story. Let me just give you one more. How about Jesus with his disciples? Let me just ask you for a moment. If you're getting ready to change the world, I mean, you're getting ready to to start the church, okay? The most significant organism and organization that has ever existed in in, in mankind's history. 
wouldn't you be very, very concerned about the people that you chose to be a part of your initial launch team, right? And Jesus picked people like Peter and James and John. Think about Peter. Peter was one of the most impetuous guys you'll ever meet. Peter was always opening his mouth and getting into trouble. Go read your New Testament and see how many times Peter, you just want to say, Peter, shut up. Okay. Don't say anything else. I mean, Peter's doing crazy. He's jumping out of boats on the water, okay? Trying to walk on water. This is Peter, okay? See who this guy is. Jesus said, I want you on my team. James and John, when Jesus first met them, they were known, their, their other name was the Sons of Thunder. I mean, they were the original Sons of Thunder before the motorcycle gang had it, okay? okay? These, are, these are guys that didn't have a good control over their emotions, okay? But Jesus brought them on the team. He brought them into the atmosphere of his discipleship. And he began to work on them and challenge them. And yes, sometimes correct them and adjust them. But what I want you to see is that Jesus didn't give up on people that other people would have given up on. Okay? How about Saul of Tarsus? Everybody would have given up on Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of the church. Who would have ever picked him to become the apostle that would write most of the New Testament? Nobody would have ever chosen this, this, this man who was a, if you will, murderer or a religious persecutor of Christians. No one would have ever dreamed, but God said, I'm not going to give up on him. I can reach that guy and he can make a difference. So what I encourage you to do in your life is this, and with this I'm going to be done today. Don't ever give up on people too quickly. Because God didn't give up on you. God hasn't given up on you because guess what? You and I, we're not perfect yet, are we? Oh, thank God I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm going to be either. But God takes me right here where I'm at today and He begins to work in my life. And so the best, most intelligent thing you can do whenever you are dealing with people that are difficult to deal with, okay, and you're going to meet people in your life that are the difficult people. Anybody have any folks you know like that? And do not give an elbow to the person beside you, okay? They're very difficult. I call them EGRs. Extra grace required. Okay? Right. When you meet them, you just say, oh, EGR. <laughs> but the important thing is that, guess what? All of us are that, those folks. Okay, that's who we are, okay? And remember that in your life because you'll never relate well to people until you have the atmosphere of grace working in your life. Grace does not equal acceptance of everything a person does. But it does say, you know what, I may not agree with what you do, and I may in fact be opposite of you in terms of what you do, but I know that God can see in you what I can't see, and just like God has been patient with me, God, I'm going to be patient with you and let God work in you the change that is needed in your life. And I tell you what, God is better able to change somebody than I am. How about you, okay? You know that? We can work hard trying to change people. But the best thing you can do is let God do that work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to take this word in our heart, to learn how to be better in our relationships. God, all of us have a long way to go when it comes to this. We mess up all the time. 
But thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace to us. And I pray that today you would help us to learn just a little bit more of how to do this. Help us to, Lord, never give up on someone, Lord God, in our world that might be difficult or might challenge us in our area of grace. But help us to live with the mindset that you can reach anybody. Seal this in our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.